0: All right, Wrestling with Theology fans, it is Monday, so that means it is time to stand in the confessional corner. This week, we are continuing our look at the first half of Article 12 of the Augsburg Confession, or, sorry, of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, Kind of pun there, but not intended. We're looking at paragraphs 28 through 58, where Melanchthon goes through and defends the idea that there are two parts of repentance contrition and faith now the roman adversaries will see do accept there being two parts to uh, repentance but not faith involved in the contrition we'll see that in this week and i believe next week as well but then again of course we'll see it next week because it's kind of the whole thing as we go through both parts of Article 12 as we talk about repentance as well as confession, absolution, satisfactions, what all is going on in the medieval world at the time of the Reformation. So, we're looking at paragraphs 28 through 58 today, starting off with, again, a long introductory paragraph for this section in the Concordia of the Lutheran Confessions, the Reader's Edition. But we're going to look at paragraphs 28 through 34 and go back and look at several parts in it. To deliver godly consciences from these mazes of the learned persons, we have attributed these two parts to repentance, contrition and faith. If anyone desires to add a third, fruit worthy of repentance, that is a change of the entire life and character for the better, we will not oppose it. We separate from contrition those useless and endless discussions regarding grief, from loving God, and from fearing punishment. We say that contrition is the true terror of conscience which feels that God is angry with sin and grieves that it has sinned. This contrition takes place when sins are condemned by God's word. The sum of the preaching of the gospel is this to convict of sin, to offer for Christ's sake the forgiveness of sins and righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life, and that as reborn persons we should do good works. So Christ includes the sum of the gospel when he says, Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, Luke twenty four, forty seven. Scripture speaks about these terrors. For my iniquities have gone over my head, like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Psalm 38, verses 4 and 8. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 6, 2 and 3. I said, In the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion he breaks all my bones. Isaiah 38, 10 and 13. In these terrors, conscience feels God's wrath against sin. This is unknown to secure people living according to the flesh. The conscience sees the corruption of sin and seriously grieves that it has sinned. Meanwhile, it also runs away from God's dreadful anger. Human nature, unless sustained by God's word, cannot endure his anger. So Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, Galatians two nineteen. For the law only accuses and terrifies consciences. In these terrors, our adversaries say nothing about faith. They present only the word that convicts of sin. When this is taught alone, it is the doctrine of the law, not of the gospel. By these griefs and terrors, they say people merit grace as long as they love God. But how will people love God in true terrors when they feel God's horrible wrath, which is beyond words? What besides despair do these people teach who during these terrors show forth only the law? So far, the apology. All right, so we go back to the beginning of this section. Paragraph 28. There are two parts of repentance, contrition and faith. And we'll talk about contrition for quite a while in this section, especially the bulk of the first half of Article 12 but we'll get to a definition of contrition, one of the many that are given in this article. But we have the two things. But if a third is desired to be asked, it is fruit worthy of repentance, which is a change of the entire life and character for the better. This comes to us from John the Baptist's words in Matthew chapter 3, as the Pharisees come to him, as also the the Sadducees, in verses seven through ten of Matthew three, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and I do not presume to say to yourselves,We have Abraham as our Father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, every tree, therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. so far." St. John the Baptizer. So if you want to add a third part to repentance, there is also the desire then to be different and to do better. And we see this even in the form of individual confession and absolution used in the Lutheran service book for uh, private confession and absolution, where we have, after the confession of sins, that I desire to do better better that I want to do better I don't want to keep doing these things I want to live a godly life and if you have that okay we will accept that as a third part of repentance because then there is that desire to be something different now we get into paragraph 29 and we have that first definition of contrition which is the true terror of conscience This is that point where we always talk about the law always accuses or the law always terrifies. This is that point because it accuses you and your life, but it terrifies your conscience knowing that it's right. The law is good and holy and just. But now we have the difference, as will be spelled out over the course of Article 12, between contrition and And attrition. Contrition is that true terror of conscience that you have sinned. Attrition is the fear of being caught. That's the only reason you're sorry is you got caught. The gospel in the broad sense goes on to bring about this change in people, bring about this contrition, this terror in the conscience. Because in the broad sense, the gospel is there to proclaim both the condemnation of sin and the redemption of sin to convict people and to show forgiveness. And then the excuse me then the uh, quotations from the Psalms just go and point that terror out in David's own life and then even in Isaiah's life as he deals with the aftermath of The downhill slide from David, a man after God's own heart, through all of his descendants that were not anywhere close to worthy of his title, but they got it anyway because they were born into that role. We move on into paragraphs 35 through 38. As the second part of repentance, we add faith in Christ. The gospel, in which the forgiveness of sins is freely promised concerning Christ, should be presented to consciences in these terrors. They should believe that for Christ's sake their sins are freely forgiven. This faith cheers, sustains, and enlivens the contrite, according to Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This faith obtains the forgiveness of sins. It justifies before God, as the same passage testifies, since we have been justified by faith. This faith shows the distinction between the contrition of Judas and Peter, of Saul and David. The contrition of Judas or Saul, Matthew 27, 3-5 and 1 Samuel 31, 4-6, is useless because faith is not added. Faith grasps the forgiveness of sins given as a gift of for Christ's sake. So the contrition of David or Peter, 2 Samuel 12, 13, and Matthew 26, 75, helps because faith, which takes hold of the forgiveness of sins granted for Christ's sake, is added to it. Love is not present before reconciliation has been made through faith. For without Christ, the law is not performed. According to Romans 5, 2, through Christ we have also obtained access to God. This faith grows gradually and throughout the entire life, struggles with sin in order to overcome sin and death. Love follows faith, as we have said above. So, childlike fear can be clearly defined as anxiety that has been connected with faith, that is, where faith comforts and sustains the anxious heart. It is slavish fear when faith does not sustain the anxious heart. All right, so faith is added to the Roman idea of repentance. Which is simply just the confession of sins. That is all that there is to the Roman doctrine of repentance. But then they also add satisfactions. Which are never satisfactory in themselves. Because faith is what makes the difference. You look at Saul and David in the Old Testament. You look at Peter and Judas in the New Testament. And you wonder, what is the difference? All of them say they repented, but what happened with them? Well, Saul repented, but he didn't care for God. He had not cared for God for years up to that point. David, when he is convicted of his sin by Nathan the prophet, strongly begins what we will look at later this week in Digging Deeper, Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, because my heart is not clean, because I have sinned against you. Now, when we get to Judas and Peter, both of them were apostles. But here we have the difference between the two words. The Greek word for Judas's repentance is literally change your mind or regret. Definitely Attrition instead of contrition many of the older versions have repent for judas but it was not repentance that holds on to faith it's not repentance that would lead to a forgiveness of sins because where does he go for forgiveness he goes to the very people who offered him money to hand over jesus now the greek word for peter's sorrow in john 21 is literally to be distressed or grieved To have great sorrow, that terror of his conscience on the third time that Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He was pricked to the heart because he knew why Jesus had asked him the third time. He was grieved that Jesus asked him the third time. But then again, Jesus asked him the third time because Peter had denied him the third time. So when you get to those points in Bible studies, or you're thinking about it as you're hearing the Passion reading again, there's the difference between Judas and Peter. Peter knew where he could go for forgiveness. Peter believed that Jesus would forgive him. Judas had lost all hope because he figured Jesus was as good as dead and As the pirates say, dead men tell no tales. All right, move on into paragraphs 39 through 43, uh, concluding this little section of the Apology here. Furthermore, the power of the keys administers and presents the gospel through absolution, which is the true voice of the gospel. We also include absolution when we speak of faith, because faith comes from hearing, as Paul says in Romans 10 17. When the gospel is heard and the absolution is heard, the conscience is encouraged and receives comfort. Because God truly brings a person to life through the word, the keys truly forgive sins before God. According to Luke 10:16. the one who hears you hears me. Therefore, the voice of the one absolving must be believed no differently than we would believe a voice from heaven. Absolution can be properly called a sacrament of repentance, as even the most learned scholastic theologians say. Meanwhile, in temptations, this faith is nourished in a variety of ways, through the declarations of the gospel and the use of the sacraments. For these are signs of the New Testament, that is, signs of the forgiveness of sins. They offer the forgiveness of sins as the words of the Lord's Supper clearly testify. This is my body which is given for you. This is the cup of the New Testament, and so on, Matthew 26, 26, and 28. So faith is conceived and strengthened through absolution, through hearing of the gospel, through the use of the sacraments, so that it may not give in to the terrors of sin and death while it struggles. The method of repentance is plain and clear. It increases the worth of the power of the keys and of the sacraments. It illumines Christ's benefit and teaches us to make use of Christ as mediator and the atoning sacrifice. So we have the power of the keys, that office that the church has that it gives to, especially in liturgical churches, gives to the pastors to be able to forgive and retain sins, as Jesus talks about in John 20. But that is truly only there if you keep Luke 10, 16 in mind. The one who hears you, Jesus tells the apostles, hears me. So we have also in individual confession absolution the question after the prayer and the showing of the desire to be different. The question from the pastor, do you believe that my forgiveness is Christ's forgiveness? Do you believe that when I speak, it is truly the voice of Christ that is speaking through me? And if you can answer yes, then you may go on and receive the absolution an absolution can be considered a third sacrament and this has been a struggle and a debate for most of the reformation is are there two sacraments baptism and the lord's supper or are there three because some people don't like to have absolution there because while well, you have a physical person a living being being the element that the word is being added to and some people don't like that they'd rather have it be to inanimate objects like water, like bread and wine, they'd rather have that than having a living person but again the confessions say that you can call it a third sacrament, you can call it a sacrament of repentance and this is what gives the office of the keys such power is that it's One job is to declare the gospel, to give the gospel out freely and declare it so that everyone may know that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, and that by believing, they may have that short promise of heaven. And now, Melanchthon moves on in paragraphs 44 through 58 to go through different scriptural proofs of this and continuing on with their ideas of what it actually means to be forgiven and be repentant so starting in paragraph 44 because the confutation condemns us for having assigned these two parts to repentance we must show that scripture expresses these as the chief parts in repentance or conversion christ says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest here are the two parts the labor and the burden signify the contrition, anxiety, and terrors of sin and death. To come to Christ is to believe that sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. When we believe, our hearts are brought to life by the Holy Spirit through Christ's words. Rome quotes Matthew 11:28 against the Lutherans because it talks about those who labor, those who do things, get to come to Jesus. However, the passage, once again, works better for our understanding of the Christian life than Rome's. Because, yes, there are works, there are labors, there are burdens. But it is the anxiety and the contrition, the terrors of the conscience, of struggling with this sin, trying to do it ourselves, and realizing, no, we can't do it. So we must then turn to somebody else to do it. And it's only in Christ that we can receive that true rest that he offers. Paragraph 45. Here, therefore, are these two chief parts, contrition and faith. In Mark 1, 15, Christ says, Repent and believe in the gospel. In the first clause, he convicts of sins, and in the second, he comforts us and shows the forgiveness of sins. Believing the gospel is not the general faith that devils also have, but in the proper sense, it is believing that the forgiveness of sins has been granted for Christ's sake. This is revealed in the gospel. You see also here that the two parts are joined. Contrition, when sins are rebuked, and faith, when it is said, believe in the gospel. If anyone should say here that Christ also includes the fruit of repentance or the entire new life, we shall not disagree. For this satisfies us, that contrition and faith are named as the chief parts. So again, what do we have? Contrition and faith. And if we want to add the fruits of repentance, so be it. When Paul describes conversion or renewal, he almost everywhere designates these two parts, making dead and making alive, as in Colossians 2.11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, namely, by putting off the body of the flesh. And afterward, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, Colossians 2.12. Here are the two parts. One is the putting off of the body of sins. The other is rising again through faith. Neither should these terms, making dead, making alive, putting off the body of sins, rising again, be understood in a platonic way about a fake change. Rather, making dead means true terrors, such as those of the dying, which nature could not sustain unless it were supported by faith. Paul calls the putting off of the body of sins, which we ordinarily call contrition. In these griefs, the natural lustful desire is purged away. The making alive should not be understood as a platonic fantasy but as comfort that truly sustains life that flickers in contrition. Here, therefore, are the two parts, contrition and faith. For conscience cannot be quieted except through faith. Therefore, faith alone makes alive, according to this declaration. The righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4 and Romans 1.17 So, contrition, repentance, conversion is a resurrection, and death that it is a reenactment of what Jesus has done for you to forgive you of your sins in the first place. Paragraph 48, Colossians 2.14 says, Christ canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. Here also are two parts, the handwriting and the blotting out of the handwriting. The handwriting, however, is conscience, convicting and condemning us. The law, furthermore, is the word that rebukes and condemns sin. Therefore, this voice that says, I have sinned against the Lord, as David says in 2 Samuel 12, 13, is the handwriting. Wicked and secure people do not seriously give forth this voice, for they do not see. They do not read the sentence of the law written in the heart. This sentence is perceived in true griefs and terrors. Therefore, the handwriting that condemns us is contrition itself. To blot out the handwriting is to chisel away the sentence by which we declare that we shall be condemned and to engrave the sentence by which we know that we have been freed from this condemnation. Faith is the new sentence. It reverses the former sentence and gives peace and life to the heart. Sin's debt has been canceled solely by Christ's death and resurrection. Anything you do, has nothing to do with your debt of sin. Any works that you do prior to conversion, prior to faith, mean nothing. All the works you do after faith, after being a Christian, as a Christian, are all in response to the faithfulness of God in his promises through Christ. In paragraphs 49 through 52, Melanchthon just runs through more of the passages that were brought up by the Roman adversaries in the Confutation and starts off with, of course, again, the question, What need is there to cite many testimonies since they are everywhere clear in the Scriptures? And then just goes on to list the ones that are spoken of by Rome. The Lord has disciplined me severely. But he has not given me over to death. Psalm 118, 18. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 119, 28. Here, contrition is contained in the first clause, and how we are revived and contrition is clearly described in the second. We are revived by God's word, which offers grace. This sustains and enlivens hearts. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. 1 Samuel 2, 6. Contrition is meant by one of these, faith is meant by the other. The Lord will be roused to do his deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work. Alien is his work. Isaiah 28, 21. He calls it the strange work of the Lord when he terrifies, because to make alive and comfort is God's own proper work. But he terrifies, Isaiah says, for this reason, that there may be a place for comfort in making alive, for hearts that are secure and do not feel God's wrath, hate, consolation. In this manner, Scripture is accustomed to join these two, the terrors and the consolation. It does this to teach that there are these two chief parts in repentance, contrition and faith that comforts and justifies. Neither do we see how the nature of repentance can be presented more clearly and simply. Again and again and again, Melanchthon is hammering home to those who are too thick-headed to understand the words that are right in front of them in the scriptures that everywhere that repentance is talked about there is contrition and there is faith paragraph 53 through 55 then talk about the two works of god god's two chief works among people are these to terrify to justify and make alive those who have been terrified into these two works all scripture has been distributed The one part is the law, which shows, reproves, and condemns sins. The other part is the gospel, that is, the promise of grace bestowed in Christ. This promise is constantly repeated in the whole of Scripture. Having first been delivered to Adam, I will put enmity in Genesis 3.15. Afterward to the patriarchs. Then it was still more clearly proclaimed by the prophets. Lastly, it was preached and set forth among the Jewish people by Christ, and then spread out over the entire world by the apostles. All the saints were justified through faith in this promise and not by their own attrition or contrition. The examples also show these two parts. After his sin, Adam is rebuked and becomes terrified. This was contrition. Then God promises grace and speaks of a future seed, the blessed seed, that is Christ, by which the devil's kingdom, death, and sin will be destroyed. Genesis 3.15 again. There he offers the forgiveness of sins. These are the chief things. For although the punishment is after afterward, It does not merit the forgiveness of sin. We will speak about this kind of punishment a little later. All right, so we have the two works of God. To terrify sinners and to comfort and justify sinners. The law and the gospel. The two main teachings of all of Scripture. And then he talks about the punishment that was given to Adam after the promise of, forgiveness not to merit eternal life not to merit the forgiveness of sins simply put there as the response of the command itself and the day that you eat of it you will surely die what does death look like well here's what it looks like until you actually do cease living is that life will be hard and no matter what you do you cannot make it perfect again all right want to finish up with paragraphs 56 through 58 where they take the greatest text on confession absolution forgiveness repentance you name the adjacent topic david and bathsheba second samuel 11 and 12 david is rebuked by nathan in this way Terrified, he says, I have sinned against the Lord, Second Samuel twelve thirteen. This is contrition. Afterward, he hears the absolution. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. This voice encourages David, and through faith it sustains, justifies, and enlivens him. A punishment is also added, but this punishment does not merit the forgiveness of sins, nor are special punishments always added. In repentance these two things ought always to exist, namely contrition and faith, as in Luke seven. The woman who was a sinner came to Christ weeping. By these tears the contrition is recognized. Afterward she hears the absolution. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke seven, forty eight and fifty. This is the second part of repentance, namely faith that encourages and comforts her. From all these it is clear to godly readers that we assign to repentance those parts that properly belong to it in conversion or the new birth and the forgiveness of sin. Worthy fruit and punishments follow rebirth and the forgiveness of sin. For this reason we have mentioned these two parts so that the faith required in repentance might be seen better and so that faith which the gospel proclaims can be better understood when it is contrasted with contrition and making dead. All right, this has been one of those long ones again, but why would I want to split this up into two and try to work out some other form that it would end up making another one long? But this is important. Contrition and faith. Those are the two parts of repentance. If you do not have both, you do not have repentance. I mean, it's obvious that if you do not have contrition, If you're not sorry for your sins, you cannot have forgiveness. But if you don't believe that there is forgiveness available, well, then also you cannot have true repentance. And it is clearly spelled out over and over again in the Bible. And we could go on. And unlike Melanchthon, who does decide to go on after saying what use is there to go on, I'm going to stop here. And I'm going to thank you for listening and standing in the confessional corner with me today. And I ask you to be back Thursday for Digging Deeper into the Psalms, where we get into Psalm 51 and David's contrition and repentance. But also for your wrestling fans, Pro Wrestling America on Wednesdays, the moments of meditation on the weekday mornings, I encourage you to be there for that. For those moments where you just need a quick boost of faith in your life until then this is pastor doug minton wishing you god's richest blessings as you wrestle with theology amen